Isn't it good news that his promises still stand? The God that we serve is faithful. And today we're going to begin looking at uh, a section of scripture that, that really just speaks to the faithfulness of God, that speaks to the promises of God, that, that reminds us today, above all days, we're going to look at this text that we're going to see in Psalms chapter 1, and we're going to realize that God's desire for us is that we be blessed. Think of the promise that is there. You go through life and you wonder, can I find true happiness? I would say that that is a question that is on so many people's minds. And the book of Psalms is one of those books that is that gentle reminder. And really in this chapter, it's not even so gentle. That reminder that we indeed are a people who are blessed, who are meant to be happy, who are meant to find joy. The book of Psalms, and the reason we're choosing, I know some of you were panicked when you saw a, a, a series on Psalms because you're thinking, wow, okay, 150 Psalms, 50-something weeks out of the year. Aaron's going to be here a while. Well, this is just really, uh, we're going to fill a few weeks here with some Psalms until we can get into our Who's Your One series. So it's not to lessen the book at all because I wish I could go through each one of these Psalms with you because I'm going to tell you the Psalms are rich. If you wonder what Psalms means, if you've ever wondered that, uh, Psalms simply means songs. In the Hebrew, this was kind of their hymn book. This was the book that they would go to when they would go to Jerusalem, when they would go to different feasts and festivals. Many of the songs that they would sing on the way and while they were there worshiping, uh, many of the songs, when you look at them, it simply says, this is, you know, it's written by some of the chief leaders of, of music, whether it's the choir leaders or whoever. And many of the psalms are written by David. And these psalms are given to us really as worship and as prayer. The psalms are raw. It's one of the reasons why I like the psalms. You probably see more about the author in the book of Psalms than you do really in any other books that are written out there, whether the history or even the Gospels, you see really the thoughts and the concerns and the prayers in the heart of, of these men uh, as they wrote this book. I mean, it is evident that they knew the anguish that we know. They know the suffering that we know. They know the trials. They know the victories. And you really get a sense uh, for, for a man who, who really is serving and striving after God. And what does that look like even in difficult times. And so when we ask the question, why am I not happy today? That's a question on many people's heart. We know that many people ask it. If you go to Google, and if you just were to Google search, how can I be, and you just get those words in, happy is going to be the first thing that pops up. It's one of the first things that people are looking for. They're asking the question, how can I be Happy. After that comes, how can I be sure? How can I be saved? The fourth one was kind of interesting. It was, how can I be pretty? That's actually what I was looking for when I figured the others out. The reality is, it's a question that people are asking. If you want to know whether or not you really understand joy, whether or not you truly understand what it means to be blessed, blessed is one of those words we throw around a whole lot in our culture. If you ask someone how they're doing, some people will say fine, some will say good. There are many people today that they'll say, I feel blessed. Do they really understand? Do you really understand what it means to be blessed? Let me ask you this question, and this will tell you the level and the depth of your understanding of what it is that God wants to do when he wants to bless you. So let me ask you this question. 
If life didn't change at all for you, right now in this moment, from this moment forward, your situation didn't improve, if your marital status didn't change, if your career didn't progress, if your body didn't feel any better than it does right now, let me ask you the question. Would you still be happy? Because if we answer that question, no, then what we've done and what we've failed to realize is that we are saying that we need Jesus plus something to find the things that he says only he can give us. It's very subtle. If all of us answered that question honestly, there are many of us at many times in our life where, where really we live as if we need things to change to be happy. But true joy, true blessedness is beyond our circumstances. It comes not from something that we pursue, something that we can find and we can grab hold of. It's not things in this world. It comes from a very different place. And today, I'm not just going to answer the question, what will make us happy by simply giving you the answer, Jesus. Though I want you to understand that answer is sufficient in and of itself. It's like the kid who went to Sunday school, right? The teacher asked the class, I want you to tell me what I'm describing. And he said, the teacher said, it's furry. Has four legs and, and little padded feet, and it, and it loves to eat acorns. The little kid raised his hand, and she called on him, and the kid said, well, I'm pretty sure you're describing a squirrel, but because we're in Sunday school, I'm going to go with Jesus. <laughs> that's the way most of us, I mean, we think that's what the pastor's going to just say. And folks, it is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But I praise God that we get windows and glimpses into the person of God, into his knowledge, into his wisdom, to help us understand where true joy really comes from. And we can look deeper than just that answer and understand God's will and God's plan for us. And he is going to describe for us in these verses the answer to the question, what does it mean to be blessed? Do you truly know what it means. Let me read the psalm to you. Psalm chapter 1, or Psalms chapter 1, it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates on it both day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Doesn't that sound amazing? The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You want to talk about some great truths. This is one of the greatest 
psalms, in my opinion, because it answers for us. It may be thousands of years old, but it is relevant today because it answers the question that the world is asking, can I know true happiness? Well, number one, when we look at what blessed means or what it means to be blessed, I want to define that for us because it's how the psalm starts. How blessed? Until we understand that term, it's hard to understand what comes after it or why it's important or why we even need it. But when we understand blessed, it's going to make all the difference in the world. So number one, the blessed man is the man who has found joy because of God's favor. Now let me say that again. The blessed man is the man who has found joy because of God's favor. You see, joy isn't something that we find or that is accomplished by us. It's something that is given to us. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And the reality is, if you want to know the man who is blessed in this life, it is the man that has found favor with God. Let me say it another way. It's a man who understands the grace of God. It's a man who understands all that God has done to be in a relationship with us. That he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again. That he suffered for our sins and for our sake so that we could have a relationship with him. He came to pour into us life. To give us back the relationship that we lost. Everything about salvation has nothing to do with us. It's not something we do, it's something that is done for us. Until we grasp that, we won't know what it means to truly be blessed. You see, the reality is we need grace as much today as we've ever needed it in our entire lives. Grace isn't for the day you got saved only. It's for every day. It's the strength that God gives us. It's the promises that we get to cling to in this life when we face discouragement or when we face affliction or when we face just, you know, all the things that, that we could face, suffering, death, sickness. God's grace is what creeps into our life, and it's His favor towards us. That's what makes us blessed. Nothing else in this life because when we talk about blessedness, if you really defined it, like if you looked at the Hebrew, it's very interesting because literally the Hebrew would, we, would read, blessedness, blessedness. Spurgeon interpreted and said, oh, the happiness. It's this idea that it's, it's blessedness or happiness just compounded on itself that we indeed are a people when we realize that God's favor rests on us. His grace has been given to us. That forgiveness through Christ has been given to us. Literally, he says, when you come to grips with all that God has done in, through, and for you, he says that blessedness is going to be the end result. A joy. And I think sometimes it's better understood as joy because in our English language, happiness, the problem with our definition is happiness generally depends on our happenings, right? Which is where we get the English word. Whatever's happening around us, that's how so many of us misunderstand what true blessedness is. That true happiness that God is talking about isn't based on circumstances. It doesn't have to come and go. If it's coming and going, it's because we are looking for something to satisfy us. That's not God because our God doesn't come and go. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God, as we just sang about, His promises still stand. Great is thy faithfulness. There's no wavering with God. 
But yet there's so much wavering in our happiness. Why? Because we build it upon things. That's why I ask you the question, if nothing in your life changed, could you be happy? Right where you are, is Jesus enough today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Have you found your identity, your purpose, your meaning, your very life in Christ? Because the more you understand who he is and what he's given to you and your relationship to him, the more you grasp that, the more you will not be, or, or, or the less you'll be susceptible to the ups and downs that most of us have in this life because our happiness is tied to what is happening to us. That's not what God's talking about. He's talking about a blessing and a blessedness that goes much more deeper. Why? Because... I want you to see that as we talk about the blessed man who has found joy because of God's favor, it first means that it is God bestowing to us himself. When we talk about God's favor, it is God, I mean, think about that, bestowing to us himself. That God would look on us as sinners is amazing. And forgive us. That he would know our frailties and our weakness and our disposition to sin. And yet he would love us so much that he would make a way for us to be saved and to be changed and transformed. That God would invite us back into a relationship with him. That, that we were made to look like him, to be like him. And yet we messed all of that up. And threw all of creation into sin. And yet his patience and his goodness and his gentleness and his long suffering towards us it is amazing that god comes to us and gives us himself i love the book of deuteronomy it ends it's the recounting of all of god's glory and all of god's actions among the jews when they were wandering in the wilderness and as they were brought out of egypt and in the recounting in the book of deuteronomy of all that God had done, when you get to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 33, each of the tribes were, were blessed. And it was a, a revisiting of the blessing of what was given to each of these tribes. But I love the way this chapter ends in chapter 33. Listen to the words. He says, blessed are you, O Israel. There is that term again. Oh, the happiness. Blessedness. Blessedness. This piling on of joy. Listen to the words. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. You see, what made them blessed was God himself. That they were his, and he was theirs. That they knew him, and he knew them. God bestowing to us himself, but more than that, I want you to know that blessing and being blessed is more than a feeling based on your present circumstances. You see, blessedness, the only way I know to say it is it's a heart condition. It's a heart condition. It means that it's something that happens at the very depth of, of who you are, something so deep that it can't be touched 
by the circumstances of your life. You have so clung to the promises of God, the word of God, that you've placed all of your hope in God. Our circumstances can't touch that joy. One author said that it is a man fully satisfied. Now, now I want you to take notice, fully not partially satisfied. That's why we answer that first question wrong so many times. I need Jesus plus a husband. I need Jesus plus to be made well. I need Jesus plus. And, and we think that without the plus, we can't find joy or peace or hope. It's not about circumstances, church. It's not about our feelings. It means that we have become fully satisfied, independent of our circumstances. It is the person who is fortified by grace. I want you to think about that term, fortified, for a minute. That means, and when you think fortified, you think of a walled city. It means that because of God's grace, because of everything that he's ever given to us, literally, our life is fortified. Nothing can touch us. Let me ask you a question. If, If Christ is in God and we are in Christ, how safe do you think we are? If you're in God's hands, is there any other place that you would rather be in this life? Can't you trust that that if you're in God's hands, he has everything under control? And that what he wants to give you, he can give you. What he promised you, he can make true on that promise. It's a person fortified by grace so that the wind and the waves of suffering and affliction can't Take away the joy. Because, folks, what we find in these verses is that life goes through seasons. You see it in the discussion about the trees there. He says, The blessed man is like a tree that has been firmly planted or firmly rooted by streams of water. What we find is that when you bring in an analogy like this, what he's saying is that seasons are going to come in life. All of us love spring and fall, amen? Summer and winter can be deadly. Seasons of drought can be deadly. But what he says is the believer who's blessed, the believer who's put their hope and their faith and their trust in God and nothing else, who find all of their satisfaction in him, it says it's like a tree that has just set down roots. So deep that when the wind comes, guess what happens? It's going to wave that tree and it's going to bend, but what's it not going to do? It's not going to break and it's not going to fall down. It's not going to fall down. Why? Because it is firmly rooted. There is a depth to it. Folks, that's what he's getting at here. That's what he wants you to see. He's wanting you to see beyond a shadow of a doubt that though life goes through seasons, it doesn't have to threaten our joy. If your happiness is dependent on being in a season of spring and fall, then I'm going to tell you something. Happiness is going to be elusive to you. Here's the truth about drought. I've learned it. I've been trying to plant grass in my yard. It's frustrating. I got a lot of trees in my yard, and everything's competing for the water. And what I've found is that the newest trees that I have and the newest grass that I have, guess what's happening? It's, it's trying to get roots. But if it doesn't put down roots quick enough, 
It can't get enough water. Now, if I go out there and keep watering it, then absolutely it has a chance to survive. But in drought, if they came along and said you can't water your plants, the reality is the plants that have deep roots, I have some trees in my yard I have never watered, and I will probably never have to water. Why? Because its roots are so deep, they always have access to the water that's way down there that even the climate and all the changes going on up here isn't affecting what's going on down there. Some of us, the problem is we live such shallow spiritual lives, which we're going to get into how that happens, that literally when the sun comes up and starts to beat down and the seasons of drought come, we get so discouraged because we don't know where our hope comes from. We don't know where the promises are. If we don't know the word of God, we don't have a hope in the world of standing firm in the midst of the afflictions that we're facing. Here's what I know to be true, believer. That it's in those seasons of drought, it's in the winters and the summers, let me tell you something, it's in those seasons where you realize, are you ready for this, that Christ is all you have. But here's the good news, it's also when you start to realize that Jesus Christ is enough. Because he is like that river of water. That if you will set down your roots, which we're going to go over, then I promise you, you can withstand the seasons of life because the seasons of life are coming. And I hope that your happiness, your joy is not tied to your circumstances. You're going to be miserable. Your life's going to be this. And some of us in this room, probably most of us in this room, that's what we feel like life is. God wants to do something different than that. Secondly, first we said the blessed man has found joy because of God's favor. Well, secondly, the blessed man, he's blessed because he's separated from the world. If you want to hear the description of a blessed man and, and what it takes to be blessed... He says that if you're going to be blessed, you have to be separated from the world. Now, I want you to hear me. Separated does not mean isolation. The Bible says clearly that we have to be in the world, but we're not supposed to be what? We're not supposed to be of the world. And you see, there's this thing that happens if we're not careful that worldliness creeps into our lives because when we are worldly, let me tell you, it doesn't happen overnight what we find is that it absolutely is a slow progression. It's a slow fade, right? What he wants us to know is that we can't isolate ourselves from the world. What he's saying is when you're out in the world, your contact with the world should not end with your contamination. That you should be able to live differently in the world because of what we're going to talk about next. Because if you're firmly planted and you're firmly rooted and you're bearing fruit, and if you're spiritually healthy and all the things we're going to talk about in a minute, if those things are true of you, you can walk in the midst of this world and not be contaminated by it. You don't have to yoke yourself to this world. And that's what happens too many times to us is we yoke ourselves to the world. You've heard the term, don't be unequally yoked. Most of us think of it in terms of marriage. It's not about marriage. It's about any relationship that you have. 
that drags you away from your relationship with Christ. Because the blessed man understands that he must be careful in his relationships. What that means, let me put it to you simply. The thing about being yoked is, is this. You take two animals, you got oxen, let's say, and you got one that's over here thinking, ooh, I want grass, and the other one's going, ooh, I want water, and they start trying to go two different directions, but you're trying to plow a straight line. The only way you can get them to work together is to yoke them together. You so connect them that where one goes, the other has to go. He says that's the way relationships work. The deepest relationships of your life, you may not want to realize it, but they're taking you somewhere. To God or away from God? To holiness or away from holiness? The best way I know to put it to you is this. Look around you at the relationships that you have in your life. I want you to know something. If you'll look at the friendships, the relationships, the deepest relationships that you have, I want you to look at those people because that is your future. That's who you will become. Parents, you know why you need to know who your kids are with? For that very same reason. Because if you want to know what your kids will become, look at who it is they're hanging out with. Look who they're spending time with. People ask me all the time, Aaron, do you ever feel bad that your kids are having to be in church all the time? It doesn't look like they get to do all the other things that other kids get to do. Listen, I don't... You know what I want for my kids? I want my kids to spend time with the likes of an Alex DeYoung. A Gilbert Todd. A, 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 I want them to spend time with a Don Musgrave. A Melissa Cannon. A Laura Anderson. I mean, I could just keep picking name after name after name of godly men and women that you know what? That's who I want my kids to be spending time with. The church matters because I can sit in here and I can try to inspire you with a message and with preaching, but you know where transformation happens? In community. That's where discipleship takes place. So if I can get my kids in front of an Olivia Atkinson, I'm going to do it. Aaliyah and Lindsay, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make sure that their relationships are what they need to be with people they need to be with. Why? Because every time I look at their future, I know it's directly tied to the people that they're with. And that's true of you too. That's why he says here, you got to be careful because who you hang around with, you know what it's going to define? Now, now hear me. You need to hear this very clearly. It's going to define the way that you think. That's why he says, be very careful because the blessed man, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He knows who to listen to. Because who we listen to the most, the voice that we are hearing in our life the loudest, that's the voice that is changing the way we think. That's why I'm telling you, if all you do is watch garbage, then guess what? Your life is going to be garbage. Is that fair enough? You're going to have to get your advice from somewhere. You can get it from God's Word or you can get it from Oprah. I can tell you the two things aren't going to be the same. Your relationships 
And what you give all of your time to will determine the way that you think. But more than that, notice it says that not only will the blessed man not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, but it goes on and says, nor will they stand in the path of sinners. What you believe determines how you behave. And when you're standing in the path of sinners, that means that you are acting like they're acting. Not only are you thinking the way that they're thinking, but your thinking becomes action. What you think is how you will eventually behave. And it says, don't stand in the path of sinners. Living the ungodliness that they are living. And then it says that ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to end up sitting in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers are those people that basically mock God. You say, well, I would never mock God. Well, listen, we don't say that. That's ludicrous. Mocking God isn't just with your lips. Uh, most of us in this room, I would, link, would think, have sense not to mock God in the things that we say. But you understand, you can mock God in the way that you live just as easily. The way that you think. The things that you do. And ultimately, you know what happens? You sit down. When you think about sitting down with people, you sit down with people that you have the most interest in. That really, it's people that you identify with. Those are the people that make it in your front door. Those are the people that make it to your dinner table. Those are the people that you have as friends and you draw in close. It's those that you have identified with. So folks, let me put it to you plainly. You have to decide today. Are you going to let the world shape what you think, how you behave, and how you identify yourself? Who you are. Or are you going to let God's word do that? Because I can promise you those are two very different outcomes. One ends in joy, the other ruin. Be careful in your relationships. Thirdly, the blessed man, he delights in God's word. So he finds joy because of God's favor. He's separated from the world. But thirdly, we find that the blessed man delights in God's word. Let me use a crude analogy here, okay? It's the only way I can think to, to tell you what it is that he's getting at here. He's saying that when it comes to God's word... You ever see, you ever hear about a cow chewing cud? It's kind of gross when you think about it. But a cow gets up in the morning, he's hungry. You know what he does? He goes over and he starts eating grass or hay or whatever's out there. I don't know what cows eat. Whatever they eat, he eats it. I'm not a farmer. But I do know this. Once he's done eating, he goes and he's like the rest of us. He's fat and happy all of a sudden, right? And he's full and he wants to go lay down and he's going to go lay down and that food is in his stomach. He has four stomachs. And what he's going to do all the rest of the day is he's going to take that food that he's already eaten and he's going to regurgitate it. And he's going to chew on it some more and swallow it down. Then he's going to get up again. You know what he's going to do? He's going to regurgitate it and chew on it some more. That, <laughs> that's what he's getting at here. 
That God's word isn't something that you're supposed to just check off and be done with. And you read it and 10 minutes later, somebody asks, what was your quiet time about? Oh, I, I just got it done. I mean, I, you know, I checked it off. I, we were in, you know, Leviticus or something. Priests, yada, yada, I don't know. That's not what God says. God says that our delight, think about that word for a second. What do you delight in? Whatever you delight in, that, I mean, listen, when I first started dating Melanie, I delighted in Melanie Wallace. You know what? If I had a chance to be with her, guess what I was doing? My friends would call me, hey, you want to go out? I don't know. Melanie, we doing anything? Yep. Sorry. She'd write me a letter. Dude, I'd be all... I'd read it once, and I'd read it twice, and I'd read that stupid thing till it was falling apart, right? Isn't that how it was? Do you remember those days? Because when you delight in something or someone, you can't get enough. That's all that you want. For me now, it's Melanie and ice cream. <laughs> so if you say, Aaron, you want to go get ice cream, I'm like, Mel, we doing anything else? No? Yeah, let's go get ice cream, right? That, that's, that's what you do. You find those things in life. And he says the man that is blessed, if you want to truly be happy, he says you're going to have to figure out what it is that's going on in your heart that is not allowing you to delight in God's word. Where has this coldness happened? Where has your heart grown hard? When did you leave your first love? Because you say, well, Aaron, I just hate reading then you misunderstand what the Bible is all about. The Bible is not about you reading. This isn't about your reading ability. What it's about is this is your relationship with God. When you spend time in your Bible, you're spending time with God. Do you hear that? Just like the Bible says, pray without ceasing. That means that all day long, it doesn't mean that you, you, you just don't live life in any other way and you just sit on your knees and, 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 and you don't work and you don't spend time. It, that's not what it means. But it means that all day long you're conversing with God, that in every decision, in every moment, you are cognizant of his presence. And the prayers may be just mere sentences, but you go through the day cognizant of him. The reason most of us can't pray without ceasing is because we don't read the Bible the way it just said that we should. We don't delight in it. We don't chew on it. We don't ingest it. And really digest it. And he says, the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates. He continually keeps going back to it in his thoughts and in his prayers and in his thoughts and in his prayers until it ultimately changes him. Folks, you say, is that really a big deal that we live that way? Folks, all of eternity hinges on it. See, you want to put your salvation on, I said a prayer when I was five years old. I, I go to church. My wife makes me go to church, and I go to church, and you know what? I do my thing. I put my money in the plate, and, you know, I was baptized. Granny says, I don't remember, but Granny says I was baptized. We think that is salvation. No, no, no. Go back to what he said in Matthew. Go back to Jesus' own words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said that there is going to be a day, and he's talking to us. He's not talking as much to the people out there as he is the people in here. He said, there's going to be a day when you're going to stand before me and you're going to say, Lord, Lord. And you're going to say, look at all the things that I did for you. And it says that Jesus is going to look at 
possibly many of us in this room. And you know what he's going to say? Away from me, you workers of iniquity, or you, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Think about that for a second. People that thought they were saved. And it doesn't say that there's going to be a few or a couple. It says there will be many on that day. And then he tells the story that we're all so familiar with. The wise man who built his house upon what? The rock. And the foolish man, what did he build his house upon? Sand. You know the only difference between those two people? It says that the wise man heard the word of God. And then he did it. He heard it, and then he obeyed it. He heard it, and it made a difference in the way that he was living. So when God says sex is only meant for marriage, that means the person hearing it heard the word of God and allowed it to sink into their heart, and they changed the direction of their life. I'm not going to keep sleeping with this woman or this man. That's not my husband or wife. I'm not going to live together with this person that isn't my husband or wife. I'm going to let God's words change the way that I watch television, the way that I listen to music. If God says that I shouldn't be drunk with wine, then I'm going to stop being drunk with wine. And you say, well, how do you do all that, Aaron? Because you put your faith in Jesus who said he will help you overcome. He will free you from your sin. You were lying to yourself to say that I am a believer, but I am powerless to change. You're making God a liar, actually. And you see, most of us want to go through life, well, I heard the word of God. Well, I went to sermon after sermon after sermon, Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson. I heard the word of God. I knew the word of God. But one day God's going to look at some of you in this room and he's going to say, for all the hearing, I saw no doing. No faith that led to action. And faith without works, church, is always what? Dead. You see, that's what he means when he says the blessed man he delights in the word of God. He wants to hear a word from the God who loves him and saved him. And then he wants to act on that word. He meditates on it day and night until it transforms his life. Now we're getting somewhere. What does it say? The blessed man will be firmly planted. The roots run deep. He's firmly planted. He's not easily moved. He's not easily swayed. You see, many of us, because we don't know the word of God, we'll settle for anybody's truth. The reason we're in the mess and the predicament we're in, sometimes it's because we know the word of God and we ignore it. Other times, it's because we've never heard it, because we've never read the scriptures for ourselves. We're not in a daily walk allowing the spirit of God to transform us through the power of the word of God. And if you're not doing that, then understand you are going to consistently struggle. If this is the only input of God's word that you ever get in a week, any meaningful Bible study and quiet time, let me tell you something. You need to ask yourself, why do I not delight in God's word enough that I want to hear from him all the time? Where did my heart turn? Did my heart ever turn to him? 
because that's the man that's blessed. He's firmly planted. He's immovable. Let the storms come. Let the doubts try to arise. Let all this. Listen, he's going to stand firm because he has deep roots. But not only is he firmly planted, listen to what he says. He bears fruit in its season. What that means is when we are in the word of God and we know the promises of God and we're walking in a relationship with God, the spirit of God is filling us. Let me tell you what he's filling us with. According to the Galatians chapter 5, he's filling us with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with goodness, right? With gentleness, with kindness, with faithfulness, with self-control. All the things that this world is looking for, all the things that you are looking for, are only given to us by the Spirit of God. And he says, the blessed man, he delights in God's word. And listen, when he, because see, I want you to realize this. I mean, let's go back to John 15. John 15, Jesus made clear to us. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. That's saying that life only comes through him. We're the branch, not the vine. If you cut the branch off, guess what? The branch dies. The vine is where the life is. And he said, I'm the vine. That's what Jesus said. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. What is the result? You will bear much fruit. And he goes on later and says, it's fruit that'll last. Doesn't come and go. It's fruit that lasts through time and eternity. And you see the secret Jesus just gave to you in those verses. There is no life apart from me. You don't need anything but me. If you get away from me on your own, it doesn't matter what else you have. You can water it. You can fertilize it. You can do whatever you want. It's dead because it's not attached to the vine. And he says, but if we abide together, if you delight in my word, Meditated on day and night, listen to me, heed me, obey me, follow me, love me, worship me. He says, when you do those things, you know what is inevitable? He gave you a conditional statement. It's an if then. If you abide with me, that's what God is asking of us. He's not saying bear fruit, He's saying abide. And if you abide, guess what is inevitable? You'll find the joy, the peace, all those things that you've been looking for. That's what he means when he says it's going to yield its fruit in season. And not only will we be firmly planted and we'll be fruitful, but we'll be spiritually healthy. He says its leaf doesn't wither. Why? The roots are deep. There's a source of life. And no matter what the circumstances, no matter the heat, the drought, whatever, no matter what it is, you're so spiritually healthy, you can weather the storms. In fact, they don't hurt you. They make you stronger. They just drive your roots down deeper. He says you will prosper in whatever you do. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, don't interpret that. God's going to put a million dollars in my bank account. God's going to give me a... If you're thinking that kind of prosper, you don't know the word of God very good. The most valuable things in life cannot be bought with money. And you will not be satisfied with things. Billionaires take their lives. Why? 
because money, for all that you have of it, it can't buy the fruit of the Spirit. And there's not a place in the world that you can get it outside of Christ. And so no matter the fame that you have, no matter the fortune that you have, if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. I'm telling you, the things that matter most are what God gives you. When you delight in his word and you walk with him. Lastly, he's going to contrast for you. He's talked to you about the blessed man that he finds joy because of God's favor. And the blessed man is separated from the world. And the blessed man delights in God's word. Now he contrasts and says, it's not so with the wicked man. The wicked man is doomed. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you're going to build your house on rock and sand. And when the wind and waves come, if you ever wonder what that is in that parable, that's the judgment of God. That when the judgment of God pounds against your house, all that's going to matter is whether you heard the word of God and believed it and followed it. Or did you just hear it and never obey it? Because he said, if that's the way that you lived. You can get mad at me all you want. I didn't say it. Jesus did. God did. He says, then you're doomed. Because that house will not stand. In the judgment, the house will not stand. Hell is as real as heaven, folks. And what a shame that anybody ever go to hell when God has given us life through Christ. But we have to make a choice to love him, to know him, to follow him, to trust him, or we're going to put trust in ourselves. And folks, I'm telling you today, your eternity hinges on what you've done with Jesus Christ. Because the wicked man, you know what it says? He's not rooted by anything. Look at the world around us today. There are no roots. We can't even say that there's truth, can we? Well, what's true for you is true. I mean, we can't tell. But I mean, what's a boy? What's a girl? That seems like a no-brainer. We can't even come to that conclusion. Is a baby a life? We can't even come to that conclusion. Go club a seal. You'll do more years in prison than if you club a human being. Because we don't realize that we're made in God's image. And we live in a world where nothing is rooted. Everybody's being blown around like tumbleweeds. They're not like a tree planted by a river. And no wonder people are miserable. No wonder they're taking their lives. Because without God, didn't we just study this in Ecclesiastes? Without God, life is what? It is meaningless. It is meaningless. And there are so many people today. They don't know truth. They don't want to say that Jesus is the only way, even though Jesus said he is the only way. They are not rooted. They are driven by every wind. There are so many people that there is no anchor in their life outside of themselves. Therefore, guess what? They lack purpose. Uh, when you take God out of the equation, what do you do with suffering? What do you do with affliction? How could there be any meaning, purpose in life? Anything worth living for if there's no eternity?
this goes against one of the greatest cultural myths. It attacks it head on. The myth is the belief that happiness comes from complete freedom. Remember when you were 18? You thought, man, when I turn 18, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Remember that? I'm going to be free. I'm going to go get a tattoo. I'm going to go pierce my, my nose. I'm going to do all these things that mom and dad won't let me do because at 18, never in my life again am I going to have to answer to anybody. Honestly, that's when most of us, we will look back and that will be the most horrible time of our life because that's when we're going to make the most mistakes. Because we think the roots are tying us down. That the roots are keeping us from being free. That God's law and God's way and God's will is somehow confining us. Then you get married and your wife tells you what to do. Or your husband. Your boss tells you what to do and you start to realize life don't work like that, does it? It's all a myth. It's all a myth. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. C.S. Lewis said, Compared, compare this to the fish that decides that he wants to be free by escaping from the confines of water, so he flops out of the ocean. It may be true that he's free, but he's not going to be happy. When you get outside of God's plan and God's will, you're like a fish out of water. Suffering and death is inevitable. The wicked man is doomed. He's rooted and driven, or he's not rooted, and he's driven by every wind, but he also lives in a suffocating sense of futility. I'm not going to hit there long because that's all that Ecclesiastes has been. Vanity, vanity. Worthlessness, worthlessness. What is this life without Christ? What is this life without God? If we have no purpose, if we have no eternity, he says it's all worthless and it is a suffocating sense of futility. And lastly, he will not survive the judgment. It's bad enough that life here becomes meaningless. A suffocating futility. But then after all of that, we realize one day that we are going to stand before Christ in judgment. And what you thought was hell here is nothing compared to what is hell there. And what a tragic moment to realize that it's too late. Kevin comes, the crux of this message comes in verse 6. The psalmist's conclusion is this. If you could hear the psalmist, he would be saying to you, God, my greatest joy. <laughs> if you really want to know what blessedness looks like, what joy looks like, you know what the psalmist would say to God? He would say, God, it is this, that I know you and that you know me. Because you see, that's what he began with. You're blessed when you delight in the law of the Lord and you meditate on it day and night. And that personal relationship with the Lord where you know the Lord. 
Folks, that's life, but it doesn't stop there because in verse 6, he simply says to us, For the Lord knows, that word knows there is a know that is intimate. Like marriage, intimate. As intimate as you can get, he's saying, not only do I get to know God through his word, but I rest in the assurance that God knows me. You know what he's saying? Do you know the blessedness of never having to worry that one day you're going to stand before God and hear the worst words anybody could ever hear? I never knew you. What a shame to say, I know God. Only to hear him say back, I don't know you. Look at what the Bible says about being blessed. Understand what God is saying to us today. Some of you today need to confess that your heart has gotten cold, that you've left your first love, that you don't delight and you don't meditate on God's word. It's drudgery. It's duty for you. And, and, and you're sitting here today and you feel like there is no fire there. Number one, make sure that you're saved. That you're just not religious, but that you've truly confessed your sins and believed on Christ, and most importantly, that you've surrendered to Him. That you've yielded your life to Him, because if you haven't done that, you're not saved. So many are falling short. Remember, He says, I didn't know you. Why? Because you heard the word and you never did it. You never surrendered. It was all a game. It was all a facade. It's just hypocrisy. I'll be this on Sunday. I'll be this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Listen to what he says. God, I knew you. And I know that you knew me. What do you need to confess today? Do you need to be saved today? Charles Spurgeon, listen to the way he put it, and I'll close with this. Boy, if there was ever a true statement, listen to this one. Charles Spurgeon said that the half-committed Christian, you ready for this? The half-committed Christian is the most miserable person on earth. That means even more miserable than the ones that aren't saved. Think about that statement. <laughs> the half-committed Christian is the most miserable person on earth because he's just enough in the world to be miserable in the presence of God. And he's just enough into God to be miserable in the world. Today, church, I ask you, are you going to set down some deep roots? and find what it means to be blessed? Are you going to hear today and act on what God has said? Or are you just going to walk away again and be blown about? I wish I could make the choice for you. You have to make that choice. Some of you today need Christ. You need to confess your sins. That you need His forgiveness and His salvation. You need to believe today that Jesus 
died and is the only way you can be forgiven of your sins is because he died in your place. He took your punishment and your shame and he died for you and that you have to surrender your life to him. If you've never done that, I don't care if you're a deacon here. I don't care if you're on my staff. I don't, I don't care. You think there aren't lost people on staff? You think there aren't lost people on deacon bodies? You think there aren't lost teachers? You think this room isn't filled with people that are going to stand before God one day and hear those awful words? You need to be sure that you're following Jesus today. That you're a hearer and a doer because you've placed your faith and you know God can change you. And you're letting him do it. It's not what you do. It's what you let him do through you. What are you going to do today? Church, I want you to pray. If you're saved, I want you to ask. Do you love him like the first time? Do you love Jesus as much today as the day that you were saved? Are you serving him with that same fervor and passion? Are you still asking the question, why am I so miserable? to accept Christ, pray, ask him to save you.